Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. Welcome back to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, with your co-hosts, Candace and Kyle. Hi, Candace. Hi, Kyle. How's it going? It's been great. It's been a little bit hot in Portland, but we're getting back to normal weather now. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. Normal weather for Portlanders is not extremely hot. I know. Anything and but hot, hot. Speak, speaking of, that was actually a great segue. I didn't even mean that to happen, mm. but we have a new segment, and we're calling it Hot Topics. And this Apt. is been at Hot Topics at... No, I mean apt. Oh, aptly named. Oh, oh, that's true. So this is a a segment that we're going to try to do every podcast as it seems, you know, reasonable. It's going to be a a bit of news or stuff worth worth talking about, something that caught our fancy, something we just have to pass on to all of you, something that either pissed us off or made us happy, just a a revelation, something that that spoke to us about women and, and their issues. And this episode, we're also going to delve into the dilemma of why women cannot seem to get the answers that they need, why it is that hard to find a provider who will listen and one who knows the up-to-date info so needed to treat a woman who's struggling with a hormone imbalance. And this is really exciting because Candace and I have been in the studio now. This is our fourth time. We're actually bringing in a guest, someone we've both known for a long time, a compounding pharmacist who really knows her stuff. So... She's the perfect first guest, isn't she? She is the perfect first yes. guest. She is knowledgeable. She's just the most amazing person. So let's lead in with the hot topic that I had from this week. Well, last summer, there was an article in the AARP magazine. When you get to be over 50, you get, or even over 40, I think it is, right? You mm-hmm. start getting these AARP magazines and you think, oh, no, what's this? Who's, who's old in this household? <laughs> why, is this, why am I getting this magazine? And then you open it up and go, hmm, pretty good stuff. So it's pretty good stuff. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. So the last year's article was titled, What Doctors Don't Know About Menopause May Hurt You. I read it last summer and I thought, damn, this is a pretty good article. I really like the information. These doctors were onto it. They had some really good information about why women should be on hormones. But I couldn't remember why when I was done with that article, I was kind of mad. I was actually pretty angry. I thought, I don't Mm -hmm. like what these authors, what their um, conclusion was. So I brought it out again a few weeks ago and reread it. And the author named Jennifer Wolf, um, and we're going to post this article, by the way, on our website. She outlines how difficult it is for women to find someone who won't dismiss their concerns. And Candace, you hear this every day too, right? People come in saying, uh, they say it's all in my head and just, just work your way through it, tough it out. Right. Oh, wait. I mean, it's the universal omnipresent phrase, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, it's the universal yeah. dismissal. Yeah. So she said, so she, fu- and they won't Dismiss- jump in with a band aid approach. So she profiles a woman in her late 50s who she describes as petite, attractive, the kind of woman you could imagine being an it girl back in high school and college. She sounds just like one of the many women we both see. But she's been on birth control pills for many years, again something that many, many providers do. They keep women on birth control pills because you can. And then she finally went off about four years ago because they established that she's menopausal. And interestingly, I was kind of doing the math. She, it said, I think, that she's 57. Late 50s. 
late 50s, and she had only gone off birth control four years earlier. Which is crazy. So that means in her early 50s, she was on birth control all that time. Anyway, With, carry on. Yeah, carry on. But yeah, so she's, anyway, she, but she's been off the pills now for four years. But, so mm-hmm. the pills were sort of acting as a mini HRT for her, but now she's hitting the wall. And she goes to see the doctor who delivered her babies, and who doesn't do that? You know, you have this sort of relationship with that OB guy that delivered your babies. You have a special memory with that person. So you go back to see them, and they say to you, well, you know, it's just life. You get through this. You know, it's a time of life. Go on. And and, and they really don't have the information because they're probably more specialized in the obstetrics world. So then she goes to see a lovely female gynecologist, she describes it, and tries to solve this woman's painful sex issues with gel and sex toys. But that's not her problem. That's not her problem. Her problem is she's, you know, she's losing her mind. She can't sleep. She's gaining weight. She's, you know, her memory is losing, you know, she's losing her memory. She's got foggy thinking. So then she goes on and she actually ends up in the ER because she can't seem to get the words out. And she's frightened to death. She goes to the the ER. They do an MRI on her. Of course, that's negative. They do blood work, all negative. And then she comes home and she says, okay. So then she finally finds a provider who gets it. And that person begins to do a workup. And then she's on her path to finding hormone balance again. Hmm. So, Candace, I know this is something that you also hear all the time. Well, it does surprise me because from the time I started working in the field, that was always the question. So why didn't my doctor tell me about this? And now um, I'm seeing in this article, which was just written last year, so it's a 2018 article, you have people like the head of the North American Menopause Society, Joanne Pinkerton, yeah, I believe her name I is, saying remember, yeah. that there isn't that that there aren't enough um, doctors that are trained in in mm-hmm. menopause medicine, or or for that matter, how to treat hormonal imbalance, and and even um, I'm just looking here at some of my underlining in the article. Uh, the quote by Philip Serrell, who's professor emeritus of obstetrics and gynecology at the Yale School of Medicine, said doctors are not helpful, they haven't had training, and they're not up to date. It's, it's shocking. That's still the case. And so then we look at the numbers. So let's talk, let's back up a little bit. 1908 is the first time in, in, that we were able to document that women were actually living beyond 51. And what's mm-hmm. 51? It's the average age of menopause. 12 sequential months without a Right. So basically period. at 51, most women are going to go through menopause or soon after or before. So now we have all these women who are living past menopause, and we really don't know how to treat them. And, and so this hasn't really changed much over time. And about So most of us are going to live about a third to one half of our lives in menopause. But right now, what they did was these Johns Hopkins, which is a very prestigious school, as we all know, mm-hmm. the, the OB-GYN department there did a survey of almost 260 OB-GYN residency programs around the country. And they found that 50%, half of those providers who were about to go into practice felt they needed more education about menopause and hormone changes and about hormone replacement versus not bone health cardiovascular disease, and metabolic syndrome. So you can see... Which are all major risk factors for women in menopause. Exactly. And so you can see why when a woman is seeking help, there's not a lot of people out there that can provide it. And less than 50% of four-year OB-GYN residents felt well-versed in osteopenia, and we know that fractures can cause premature death. They also, two-thirds of them felt they lacked knowledge about menopause as related to cardiovascular disease. And guess what? Cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of older women. So it doesn't, and then what we find is that what the article brought out, which I thought was really interesting, is that 
okay, so most of these programs, if they have anything that is educating people about menopause, it's an elective. And these doctors are choosing to learn more about surgical techniques and obstetrical techniques because that's where the money is. That's where the money is. That's where the money is. And also that you have to spend a lot of time with these patients. There's not a lot of, you know, there's a lot of investment in emotional listening and therapeutic, you know, uh, intervention. So you have to spend more time. And most physicians, well, I can't say most, but a lot of them, that's not what they really want to do. And when you were ta- referring to what I hear, I, I hear attitude when, when people yeah. describe their interaction with, with the doctor who does say, just buck up or, <clears throat> you know, it's all in your head or stuff happens, you know, these kind yeah. of dismissive comments, it makes people furious. And, you know, there's a quote in this in this article you're talking about from this um, this Dr. Chen or Wen. Yes, I think she it was is, great. Who says, you know, when we, and I think this is a really important point that when we're talking about menopause or hormonal issues, we're not just talking about the symptoms Mm -hmm. that drive vaginas and the hot flashes and night sweats. We're talking about what happens after your ovarian hormones go away. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly we are at risk for these things you just are telling us doctors aren't prepared to deal with osteoporosis, heart disease, and cognitive decline. This huge, hormonal link. I know, and, and that's what they also said, too. And a woman, and one of the things in the study that came out, or this article that came out, it said that women with intense hot flashes and night sweats, which is Candace and myself, mm-hmm. have, a greater ri- have a greater risk of cardiovascular disease if left untreated. And so, and then when a woman loses her hormones, like Candace said, she also loses neuroprotection, which puts her at higher risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. And what are most people afraid of? Most people are afraid of breast cancer or Alzheimer's. So approximately 6,000 women in the U.S. each day become menopausal. By 2020, there's 50 million of us in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a lot of really pissed off ladies if they can't find the help yeah, they want. Yeah, and so exactly. So, and then 75% of those women have symptoms that cause them some distress. 20% of them have severe symptoms, and and 15% of these women have night sweats and hot flashes that last longer than 15 years. So, when people come to see me and they've been menopausal for five years and they go, How, "When is this going to end?" I'm I'm like. First of all, menopause doesn't end. You take it with you to the grave. You're, you're menopausal till you die. So you have to learn that you, you're going to have the health risks. If you don't have the symptoms, you're still going to have the health risks. But so we have a crisis on our hands, right? We have many women who will need help and guidance to protect them from symptoms and long-term health risks, and we don't have enough providers. Many women, 60% of women, they're saying, with significant symptoms who are seeking medical attention, of that number, nearly three quarters are going untreated. I know. Because of this very thing that you're laying out for us, that there aren't, there isn't the preparation. What was it, something like tw- only 20% of um, OBGYN programs in the country have, the, have, the, have any kind of menopause training? Which is shocking, because when I became a nurse practitioner, it was in the program. I took a class in endocrinology. It was fabulous. So where I get upset with this article... I really like the things they said. They really talked about these doctors, and these are some high-level doctors, have programs now for mm-hmm. women, in menopausal programs, education programs in their schools. But they keep saying over and over again in this article, we know that putting women on hormones at menopause or before and keeping them on them reduces their risk of cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, and dementia. But they say... 
but we should never we shouldn't be putting women on for prevention. I have a real problem with this. No. I, I really do. It's like, well, we, if you knew that taking a pill and aspirin a day back in the day we thought prevents heart disease, would I not tell you that do that? So I, I'm a little bit confused about that, and I feel as though at one point Candace and I will be writing these doctors and and asking them what why they're why they're not quite stepping up to the plate on this one. Mm-hmm. And I think with our guest, who you're going to introduce soon, um, uh, Natalie Gustafson, being a compounding pharmacist, can really speak to um, the sorts of treatment that those women who are getting treatment mm-hmm. are getting. Is it, you know, when we're starting to talk about bioidentical repla- hormone replacement right. with natural plant-based hormones, are they being prescribed with test results in hand as a guide, mm-hmm. um, are the proper doses being prescribed? What you know, what combinations are they in? And one of the big frustrations for women who are seeking medical care and treatment who want more natural. I mean, I'm hearing a demand for more natural Me remedies. Too. Me P- too. Women are since 2003 and the Women's Health Initiative. They know that these hormones showed greater risk than benefit. And while some of the issues around the design of the studies are, oh, there's always these flaws in design and screening beforehand. But bottom line, they had to be canceled because they, you know, uh, these synthetic hormones have shown greater uh, increased risk for heart disease and and blood lipids and stroke and blood clots. Um, the HERS study didn't show any improvement in the use of HRT for women who had had cardiovascular events. And if you remember, I'm sure you do as a practitioner, how often HRT was prescribed strictly for prevention of heart disease. So talking about prevention, and that study said it shouldn't be prescribed anymore for prevention. Yeah, and remember, when we talk about HRT, let's describe what that means. Right. We're talking about synthetic hormone replacement therapy. When we talk about BHRT, we're talking about bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And this is something that we come up against, and you will too. People will say, well, I'm on progesterone. And you'll say, really? Let me look at the label. And they're usually, 99% of the time, they're on progestin if it's prescribed by a regular physician. A regular which is provider. a far cry. It's, n- it's not the same thing at all. So we have to really be careful with how we use our words. But when we're, we're trying to educate you, then that's one of the main motivations for us to have this podcast is we know what a shortage of providers there are. I hear it every day. And this is one of the things that, that one of that doctors, I think it was Wen or Chen, whatever her name was, she was... Wen Chen. Wen Chen. She yeah. was awesome. She <clears> said, <throat> and this is what I hear, and I know Candace hears the same thing. People come to me... And they say, you're the first person who listened to me and the first person who offered me any hope. I had a woman come in to me yesterday who said, I am just losing my mind. I, I've gained 70 pounds. And everybody keeps telling, my friends keep telling me, just tough it out. My doctor tells me this. I can't tough it out. I'm going to lose it. If this is what life is about, I don't want it. And so when <laughs> someone says to me, you're the first provider who's listened to me, it may, and this doctor in this article too, it, it's a wonderful thing to hear that I'm listening, but it's a terrible thing to know that I might be the only one. That's not fair. And, it, it, you know, I'm sure that every time we hear it, I know I always feel sad because there's always some story around it mm-hmm. that if I had known this, maybe I would have been able to have a child. I know. If I had known this, maybe I wouldn't have had, you know, a hysterectomy. If I'd known that I couldn't, I didn't need to be on birth control for my acne, you know, that there are other ways to go, um, my life could have been different. Or even when we're talking about depression and anxiety, et cetera. And there are, you know, 
The other thing that annoyed me about this article, you were saying you felt angry. What annoyed me was that there's not one mention of progesterone yep. in the article. Or not testosterone. One. And it's, or testosterone. And we're talking about master hormones here that regulate our cycle. And in our last episode, when you and I were talking about estrogen dominance, so so significant is this lack of progesterone once we are no longer ovulating in menopause or even younger women who aren't ovulating for lots of different reasons, there goes progesterone. And to have no mention of it well, in they... a discussion about menopause, it's always this reference to low estrogen, <laughs> low estrogen, our estrogen goes. Our... And that's important to discuss. I think we need to have a, a segment on estrogen deficiency, because certainly it is related to bone loss, and it is related to, you know, dysregulation of lipids and all of that, But and it's significant for sure. But to only base the definition of menopause on that alone it's is way off base. Well, it's like we always go back to that symphony orchestra that it's not just one player. Estrogen's not the only player in town, but we are so focused on that hormone. But again, it has 400 functions in our body, so we should be pretty mm. focused on it. But we are so, we want to make you aware that there are other hormones involved, including progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, cortisol, and let's get, let I forget thyroid and insulin. These are really important hormones. It's the orchestra. And, and it needs to be working in together. And when, when you begin to lose one or you have too much of one, it shows. You, people know they're not feeling good. And the other thing that happens, and we've talked about this, I believe, in the past, is that for many women, it's a, it's a dramatic shift, and they're pretty aware of what's happening. Other women, it's a slow slide, and they get used to this sort of new normal, and one day they wake up and think, I feel horrible. But they didn't see it coming because it happened mm. so slowly. And that's one of the rewarding things about helping people, isn't it? Because yeah. they'll, you know, they'll say things like, "Wow, you know, my family tells me I'm much easier to live with." Was it that bad? I know. Or, or I thought I was sleeping. I mean, most people aren't sleeping very well, but no. women who say they do think they sleep pretty well will say, "Wow, I'm really sleeping now. I'm sleeping so much better." When they introduce progesterone, if there's a lack of that, or when they just balance out other hormones that we, you know, we talk about here, so. It is it is quite the symphony and and we're we're going to be discussing each aspect, every every instrument throughout this yeah. this lovely podcast of ours. And it's it's we have a running joke <clears throat> in my clinic. We have women coming in that are just losing it and they're just not always the nicest to my staff. Mm. They're a little cranky, they're a little edgy, and they just don't know they're kind of at their wits' end. And so my, my receptionist always says, Well and then they come back in after the co- after the treatment program, uh-huh. and they're like a new person. And it's just so nice to see them just relaxed, um, just calmer. You know, like you said, their family likes them better. They like themselves better. They may have gone back to work. They've lost weight. They have. Mo- they now have that energy to do the things that they've been wanting to do, but they couldn't find it. They couldn't find their mojo. They mm-hmm. kind of lost their mojo because mm-hmm. they lost those hormones. You know, and I, I do notice a lot of women in their 50s plus are upset about that loss of mojo. I they know. really miss that. Yeah, yeah. You know, they'll say, I don't feel like it. I'm definitely not in the mood. But I don't want to be this person. I know. You know, I yeah. love my husband or my partner. I don't. I don't want to be so disinterested. Or just in life in, in general. Not yeah, just zest for living. Yeah, zest for living. Yeah. Or trying new things or feeling confident. And that's the thing. You know, we see so often the lack of confidence. Suddenly, you know, you had this sort of like mm. high level job that you may have, or you have these children that you're raising, or whatever your interests are. But you just don't have that ability to really 
do it anymore and you feel you start feeling depressed and you feel mm-hmm. lonely and you feel lost. So again, that's what our podcast is about. So for the next part of our episode, I'd like to introduce our first podcast guest, Natalie Gustafson, who I have known for over a decade. Uh, backstory on that is I used to work with a compounding pharmacy out in Hills, actually Forest Grove, named Pacific Compounds, owned by a man named Rodney Goff, who was one of my early mentors. And he was getting older and wanted to sell the pharmacy. And Natalie came along. She swooped in. And mm-hmm. she, he, he, she met his approval. And she took over the pharmacy. And she has been one of my main mentors for many years. And when I, had, I have a little running joke in my office. I have a little hotline to the, to the compounding pharmacy. Because I, when I need a question asked, that's who I call. Some people call Ghostbusters, but I call Lloyd Fenner Pharmacy. <laughs> so Natalie Gustafson has been a compounding pharmacist for over a decade. She owns Lloyd Center Compounding Pharmacy in Portland. And um, she likes to customize medicine to a patient's needs, and she also likes to achieve holistic ca- care of her patients. And that's the cornerstones of her practice. Women are a huge focus of her work, although she also works with men. She has struggled with her own health issues, and she's a passionate about women helping them to regain their health, quality, balance of life. And in her downtime, she enjoys reading, mindfulness yoga, and she does take lots of pictures of those cats and post them on Instagram, <laughs> and they're pretty fun. So, Natalie, welcome to our welcome, podcast. Welcome, Natalie. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am really honored to be your first guest. <laughs> and you guys have been talking about this for a long time. So it's exciting to see it all come into fruition and mm-hmm. be here with you guys for that. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to take just a moment too, just to kind of give you guys a shout out because I know you guys don't always get to toot your own horns. But I've known both of you guys for over a decade. And right. I find both of you so inspirational. The amount of work that you guys have done for women, and just advocacy and health and and protection and all that different stuff. Like, that's amazing to me, like, how hard you guys work for that. And I don't know if you remember this, but, like, nine years ago, you totally saved me. Me? Kyle? Yes, you, Kyle. Oh, yeah, I'm pointing. That doesn't probably help you guys (laughs) all that much, does it? I just want to be... She's like, I just want to make sure you know it's me. (laughs) But no, seriously, like, I was so sick. No one knew what was wrong. My GPs had no idea. I was totally like picking all my doctor friend brains and like no one had any idea. They thought I had cancer or some horrible autoimmune. And I'm, of course, by myself working, right? So I had to show up every day because otherwise people don't get their meds. And I was so, so sick. Mm. And you had the brilliant idea, Kyle, of saying, hey, let's test for food allergies. I think you have an intolerance. And 27 foods lit up. I do remember this now. And it totally changed my life. Oh, I'm I mean, so glad. completely. And it really opened my eyes too to a lot of the different holistic and pain tension that got and all that. And so, mm-hmm. anyway, I wanted to give you a little shout out. Thank you. You're amazing. Well, thank you. I love, Both I, of you I, are. I, I often forget what I, you know, but I forget mm-hmm. people's stories unless I write them down or you remind me. So, that, thank you for the reminder. It d- reminds me to pay attention mm-hmm. because sometimes we also get caught up in our own paradigms of how we treat people and we have to think outside that box. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. that's so, and, and we all, all three of us here together, are really aware of that. We're not box think in the box thinkers. We're out of the box thinkers. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes us work so well together. In a way, we're sort of the triad right here. Because, yes. mm-hmm. you know, that all-important triad mm-hmm. of the, the physician, the provider, the consumer, consumer health educator, and the pharmacist. The compounding mm-hmm. pharmacist is the For new sure. triad in the approach to uh, holistic women's mm-hmm. medicine that is natural, bioidentical, plant-based, and mm-hmm. 
delivered in a in a Goldilocks way, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> natural that's way right. <laughs> that our bodies recognize what to do with. And and yeah, I've known you, I think, well over a decade, mm-hmm. Natalie, because you, uh, you know, as a I was the director of education at a big hormone testing lab here, and it was you pharmacists who were educating our physicians in the area and sharing the knowledge back and forth and and working together and and helping us grow you know helping us grow the message that there was such a thing as a hormone imbalance and that you can test for it and then you can use test results to determine the best approach especially when using when i think about the women that are prescribed bhrt bioidentical hormones or any hormones without ever being tested that's shocking. kind of shocking oh, yeah and with compounders you guys use testing mm-hmm. i mean you i think i think compounders have really led the way in educating doctors mm-hmm. how to interpret test results <laughs> and how to prescribe from them wouldn't you say that oh sure absolutely we get test results sent to us all the time for people who are still learning Mm -hmm. and or maybe they have kind of a set you know they know what to do if they get the standard oh the progesterone's low and estrogen's high but what if you're not getting the response you expect or you've given them hormones and you're not seeing that movement that you're expecting what do you do next and we get a lot of those questions for sure and how often do have i called you or <laughs> mitch or amanda uh-huh. my i have perfect first name basis with all the pharmacists yeah. at lloyd oh, yeah. um when i see these wacky thyroid results oh i know and like they're doing the opposite of what i think they're going to do mm-hmm. or that one's going up and, the, and they're supposed to be going up together and it's crazy so as a provider I have become a better provider by having the compounding pharmacist in my back pocket. And I so value that. If I didn't have that, I don't even know how I'd practice. I'm serious. I mean, I, that's, it's a part of my daily routine is to call the pharmacy or read something and, and ask you guys for education. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this for a long time. So I know when I first started out, it was pretty scary. <laughs> when, I, when I switched over to doing bioidentical hormones, there was really nobody for me to call other than pharmacists. Sure. And so mm-hmm. it was, and other than and the laboratory that I was using, CRT laboratory, these people were helping me too. But there was no set protocol. I, it was, I'd had to twist people's arms to give me, what are the doses? Like, what, how do I do this? Oh, yeah. It was That's... crazy. And I went to the, uh, was it Professional Compounding Corporation of America? Mm-hmm. I was sent Compounding to those conferences, and those were phenomenal, educational, and that's how I learned. Yeah, absolutely. And that is one thing that I always tell providers too. Don't be afraid to call. Right. I think that's one of the big hesitancies for a lot of providers getting into this field is, well, I don't have the formal training and where do I go for answers if I do have questions? But absolutely, like all of my pharmacists, we love like calls and going through patient cases and figuring out labs and doing all that. It's fun. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's I love that really close relationship because that's not something you get in other places. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you, so if you think about it, um, when the Women's Health Initiative hit the headlines and suddenly all those one-size-fits-all prescriptions were out the window because they, you know, the risk was shown to be far greater than the benefit, which I've mentioned several times, that we're talking about serious, um, you know, heart disease and strokes and blood clots. And now suddenly women were out in the cold. What was it? 50% of them stopped using mm-hmm. HRT through their stuff right down the loo. And then there was no one to fall back on. Women were mm, out in right. the cold, and doctors no longer knew how to prescribe because they've right. been prescribing right. the same 0.625 milligrams of, right. and the same. And so now the compounding pharmacists became the lifeline because mm-hmm. you all know how to individualize these levels mm-hmm. for according to need. So that was segueing into my first question. 
tell us, you know, when, when Kyle says how much she depends mm-hmm. on you and learn from you and how, and how, and you're describing how you work with doctors, how are compounding pharmacists different from the guy or gal that fills the prescription down at CVS? I mean, it's a, it's a world apart. Right. Absolutely. Well, we're both in community pharmacies. So from that aspect were similar except the focus is really different the problem that you see in a lot of the more corporate type community pharmacy is it is very corporate there is a lot of pressure um, on those pharmacists to get a lot of things checked off and out to patients really fast with Mm -hmm. very minimal staffing so they're Mm -hmm. usually pretty overworked they've all worked long hours they're feeling stressed out there's a lot of insurance rejections it's it's a stressful world um, and I worked in that too before I went into this because I loved community farms. I love the idea of being that resource where the mm-hmm. patient can come in and really talk to the, the pharmacist because that's how pharmacy all started, right? That's that traditional kind of apothecary feel. Right. And that was what really drew me. And that's actually what got me into compounding because I had a science background. I'd worked in a lab. So I loved that sort of mad scientist aspect to it. (laughs) Mixed with that, you know, ambulatory care type where you actually make that connection with the patients. And so compounding, we specialize everything. So everything is actually handmade in the lab. And it's really great because we had to remodel, but we intentionally put a big window into our lab in our new space. Oh, wow. So when people walk in, they can actually see their stuff being made and they love it. Because it's like watching a bakery. Absolutely. It's so <laughs> it's cool awesome. to get to see all the pieces and actually understand, oh, yeah, I'm starting from a raw powder. I'm smart. mixing it into something else. I'm mixing this for you, you know, basically each day, which is really cool. So the idea being, um, and they always talk about all pharmacy was compounding at one point. Yes. That's correct. Time. That is correct. And the, the, the pharmacist with his potions mm-hmm. and his lotions and yeah. however And the mortar and pestle. Uh-huh. Right. Absolutely. And then they, uh, what was it that started the U.S. Pharmacopoeia that decided to yeah. standardize doses and that mm-hmm. got into standard dosing. And so now we're coming back to a different place where yes. standard dosing kind of ruled the day for the mm-hmm. last, what, two decades or how oh, long? More than more that. Than that. More, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean way yeah. from century. From, right. I mean, uh, the last couple Probably of centuries. Probably 50 years or so, I would well, say. Well, into, from the 1800s maybe? Or, oh, but but well, at any rate, the, now it's yeah. come back full circle to we need to individualize. But the idea of compounding being that you would make a lozenge if someone couldn't mm-hmm. swallow something or right. isn't that the early tell us a little mm-hmm. more about the early days yeah. and then how you segued into this now hot hot stuff of bhrt for sure yeah so the original was everything went to the compounding pharmacist and the apothecary you'd bring in the handwritten script and mm-hmm. i have all those old ones because mm-hmm. oh. i collect them and i've been to a lot of different museums and stuff because of course i'm like a huge pharmacy nerd i just love it <laughs> And you'd be surprised in the stuff they used to compound. We're talking cocaine, like all oh, kinds yeah. of crazy stuff that was just mixed into everything and poisons. They did all kinds of mixtures with poisons in them. It Weren't people always like laudanum? Oh, what all was that? kinds. So much like opium type, yeah. morphine derivatives, wow. so much. Babies, kids. It, it was crazy what they used to give them. And that's actually what triggered um, the, that kind of safety concern is what triggered them to start standardizing. Because I think a lot of it started um, with them putting things in that they shouldn't and things like thalidomide um, where the mothers were given that and babies were born without limbs and so that started people started going wait a minute i think we need some regulation which is absolutely correct you want to make sure that people are getting what they should that's important Mm -hmm. and so that kind of triggered the whole commercial side of everything but i think what people are also realizing is 
manufacturers have to follow really strict rules. So they can only make certain things. They can't make every kind of dose in every kind of form. And I get tons of little, you know, babies out of the hospital that have cardiac issues. There's no way they can take a, an adult tablet. You know, their dosing is totally different. They need a liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, all the way to the other end of life, hospice care, where we have patients who lose that oral route. And so maybe we take a med that normally you would take orally. We put it into a cream that you can rub on their wrist. Um, mm-hmm. And so they can get the meds that they need that way. So every end of the spectrum and in between. Um, hormones are definitely a big one for a lot of compounders. Um, that is a big area that we work in because there's so limited options commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, there are starting to be more, um, but they're still fairly restrictive in, in what they can do. And so that's definitely a big deal, especially for women, but also for men in order to get the hormones that they need and actually achieve that balance because they can't get every kind of hormone and they can't get every dosage that they need or the delivery. There's very few delivery methods that aren't a capsule or maybe a patch. Mm-hmm. And so oral isn't <clears throat> great for everything and you might need a different and option. And people, I know for myself when I test people or I just see the treatment failures that oftentimes I start them on a cream and they have to switch to a labial cream. You know, it's, there's just exactly. so many. And you, and you guys offer all the different options that are not. Back in the day, it was it was medicine in a box. Mm-hmm. You, As a provider, I would go to my, my sample cabinet and I would pull something off the shelf. And that's what was available to me. And, and that was really was guiding me in my practice when I switched to this kind of medicine, which is more of a functional medicine model or more of an individualized model. I suddenly began to work with more individualized dosing and individualized uh, delivery options. Absolutely. How did you get into it, Natalie? Where you kind of did you have a segue between traditional pharmacy and Mm -hmm. getting into compounding? So I knew I wanted to do compounding even when I was in school. It was Mm -hmm. pretty funny because I went to school back east and. I would say over three quarters of my class went on and did residencies for hospital. That was a really heavy focus for me, um, for my school. And and I learned about compounding and it just clicked for me. Like as soon as I started reading up on it, I, I knew I wanted to own my own business because I'm not really good at following directions from other people and I kind of <laughs> like running my own show. Um, and I didn't really like the way retail pharmacy was going. I felt like we were really missing this huge opportunity to make this huge change for these patients. And as soon as I read about compounding, I was like, oh, this is it. This is my science background from my lab with my chemistry knowledge mixed with this sort of one-on-one care. And it just really clicked for me that, oh, this is going to be like the right fit for me. And so it was so funny because, you know, all my friends are going on to do residencies and I'm like, I'm going to go buy a pharmacy and move back west. <laughs> and they're like, all right, go for it. So they thought I was kind of crazy. Pioneer but girl. Were, <laughs> and she was rather young. We will not talk about age here, but the, Natalie's a lot younger than us. And she's a rock star. Mm-hmm. I'm driven. Yeah, I, and I, I knew what I wanted. You know, I, yeah, I couldn't mess yeah. around and, and I kind of had to know what I wanted to do. And and as soon as I got into it, I mean, I don't think I've had a day that I regret doing this. I love what I do. Mm-hmm. And how many people can say that? Well, you know, that's very the few people. Goal, the goal. And then the need for, you know, what you do. So if we if we move from all the compounding encompasses from the, the babies you talk about to the hospice, and then somewhere in the middle are the midlife people who are just trying to muddle through <laughs> And, you know, Kyle was just mentioning earlier about, you know, it's not as though menopause ends or any of this stuff really ends. We we go through these phases in life and sometimes we dread them as though, you know, there's some sort of horrible sentence placed upon us. But um, 
you know, there are great options out there and compounding is is the route to the natural bioidentical uh, option that is there for women. But sadly, in reviewing this ARP article that we were just mm -hmm. talking about, three quarters of women, it would appear, don't get the advice or the help they need because there is a dearth of people out there, even with the growth of functional medicine, um, even with some training NAMS is doing, what they're using or what they're referring to as the best hormones or the best hormone combinations, mixing up the different kind. Tell us, tell us more about you know what's out there for women bioidentical um, wise and and what you know about it and why you personally think it's it's meaningful medicine for women because I I know you do because you do so much of it. <laughs> and, and also I would love to ask the question too: Where do the bioidentical hormones come from? People always, yeah. people always want to know. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I know we get that question a lot too. Right. So bioidentical hormone basically means that it's exactly the same as what's in our body. And the reason why we have to specify that is most of the commercial options are not bioidentical. They're synthetic and they're synthetic to our bodies. And they have to do that because in order to justify that huge expense to make that new product, they need a, a novel molecule, something that they can patent and protect and is for them, which I understand from a business standpoint. But from a human standpoint, those molecules create all kinds of havoc. As you mentioned, the Women's Health Initiative, you know, those synthetic progestins, those synthetic estrogens, they create a lot of problems because our bodies aren't designed to handle that. We don't have the right enzymes to break that down and, and clear all that. And so being able to offer people the same hormones that they have and just now are lower in is such a great way to go because you're really reducing the risk for adverse effects. You're really reducing that risk for cancer and the other things that we all worry about, right, when giving mm -hmm. hormones because you can specialize that dose. You can specialize the route. Um, you know, the risk for estrogens with blood clots is virtually nothing topically right. versus an oral pill. So, you know, if someone has that history, that's going to be a much safer route for them to go. So being able to give that flexibility that's right for that person um, and also just the types of hormones that you can't get commercially. Mm -hmm. You know, there's multiple things that we make that there just is nothing even remotely similar for people to have. And so I, you know, the commercial ones, it's so funny because when you read about them, they don't recommend you test. They don't mm -hmm. recommend you do anything because, and then they list this huge amount of side effects. But if you read mm -hmm. those side effects, most of those are what we would consider a hormone imbalance right. and need to be treated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, so your adverse effect is really that you haven't gotten the right dose, but you only have a couple options to pick from. So, oh, well, hopefully that's right for you. It's the old one size fits right. all, but it doesn't. Exactly. And, and I think that's what really drew me to compounding too, was this idea of instead of trying to force this patient to fit the medicine, this novel concept, which is actually a really old concept of let's fit the medicine to the patient. Let's make it exactly Amen. what they need. Mm -hmm. Right. I agree. Yeah. And so, you know, I talk to women every day who, when I, looking at test results, suggests that we might be looking at the need for uh, a bit of a bioidentical hormone to replace what the ovaries are no longer producing, it would appear, or um, to get back to a balanced production because we've been on birth control for 10 or 20 years. The, the gal that's mentioned in this ARP article is something like 57 and had only just stopped birth control oh. four years previous mm. and has all these <laughs> symptoms that come were probably masked by the birth control and now roaring back. So 
Um, the, you know, these hormones are, are out there to, to help us in particular combinations. They're plant-derived, but I always find I have to explain to people they're still afraid because there's so much confusion and mixed messaging mm -hmm. out there about how these hormones are described. People hear the word hormone. Well, aren't those bad for me? I heard that study said that mm -hmm. progesterone was really bad. No, we're not taught, but we're not talking about progesterone, the hormone made naturally by your own body. We're talking, you're talking about progestin, a synthetic that has mm -hmm. no similarity at all to your body doesn't right. know what to do with it. So, so talk Absolutely. more to that, to that subject. Yeah, for sure. And how women need not fear the use of bioidentical hormones because physiology is on our side here. Right. right, right. Absolutely. You know, people are really afraid of hormones, but we definitely see a lot of cancers due to hormone imbalance. There are certainly genetic abnormalities that, you know, can occur that adding a hormone onto that, even your own natural hormones that just producing yourself could create problems. But for the majority of women, we see more cancer from the imbalance. And absolutely, that that miscommunication and that mislabeling has been very detrimental to women because these natural hormones, which are coming either from wild yam or soy, mm -hmm. um, and then they're, they, that's kind of the backbone that they use to make all kinds of different hormones. So everything from you know estradiol to progesterone, testosterone, all those kind of things. And going that route and using exactly what's you know made by the body, that's a really different thing than these synthetic hormones that people get. I can't tell you how many articles I've read that say, oh, this study, you know, they were on progesterone and it showed you know X, Y, and Z. And when you go and look at it, they weren't on progesterone; mm -hmm. they were on a progestin, exactly. and they're nothing alike. Their side effect exactly. profile is entirely different. But I don't know how pharmacists and physicians who don't spend the time to do the research could possibly know this because if you go into any of the really well-renowned databases that we use to look up, you know, let's say drug interactions or side effects, if you type in progesterone, the black box warning, the side effects, everything listed is for progestins. Mm -hmm. There is no differentiation. There's no way for somebody who doesn't spend that huge amount of time that we all have educating mm. ourselves to know that because it's all listed as if they were interchangeable and they're not even remotely interchangeable. And one of the things we were talking about in the first half before Natalie joined us today was this article talking about there's already a shortage of standard menopause education in our country. So only 20% of the OB-GYN residencies are training people in menopause. They're not even talking about progesterone. We're not even talking about family practice physicians who try to treat menopause. And we mentioned that 50 million women in our country are going to be menopausal in 2020. This is a crisis. It's really a problem. And so Absolutely. there's so few people who know this particular model of treating women with menopause. So progesterone versus progestin. It's all I hear every day. Well, think about all these women that have been on birth control. There's progestin in the birth control yeah. in so many of the different forms. So they're used to the word progestin. They think, they think maybe it was their friend, you know, because they were they used that birth control to get rid of their heavy periods or their acne or their mm -hmm. mood swings, and come to find out later when they finally stop how these symptoms come, you know, back double strong and and can plague their lives. But but they still it's hard to get the words right. And I often talk to women too who will say they won't mention what they're taking because they don't remember or they use it inconsistently. Or I was just talking to a lawyer. I did a presentation at a law firm and a few lawyers showed up, only a few in the practice because the others were too busy 
doing their billable hours to show up. They don't sleep. They don't eat lunch. Right, they are right. totally stressed. Yeah. The people that needed it the most. But she she was saying, oh, yeah, I think I'm taking some estra, estrogen of some sort. It's a cream, but I don't know. I forget. I don't know what I'm taking. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, just, well, people come in and they say, oh, yeah, my doctor put me on some estrogen cream. I know it's bioidentical, and I bring it in. It's, it, it's not. It's not. It's, it's not. not. All the time. All the time. So it's, it's really, again, it's an education. For sure. It's an education of both client, you know, consumer, mm-hmm. and the providers. And and I can't – providers use the words interchangeably, progestin and progesterone. All the time. All the and time. And the talking heads on television and yes. Oprah and, and so many of them just completely – Yeah. And like I said, mis- what, and as we said, this in this article that was very well written – didn't even mention progesterone or testosterone. So focused on estrogen. So it's focused on everything estrogen. is always so focused she's the on estrogen. One. Everybody she else is, she's kind of they're all wannabes. I know <laughs> it's so funny and like poor little progesterone is just you know forgotten on the side. Oh, she's, and, and she's then the, Betty. I know so and, sad. You know and, and and so interesting too with women in menopause um, whose adrenals are taking over most hormone production and what do the adrenals need to make cortisol. Right? Progesterone. Progesterone. Yeah. Well, right. and like that law firm and now we're not ovulating. Right? How are yeah. their adrenals all doing with oh, those hours, right? None of them are sleeping and exactly. they don't take lunch and they right. don't so maybe eat. So maybe their colleagues who heard your <laughs> talk will encourage them to come. Well, I hope so. Well, so often, and you both know this too, you get one person in and we change their lives and make them feel better. And how does that spread it spreads like wildfire in the community i have the whole forest mm-hmm. service i think department coming, of portland coming to see me now. <laughs> i know you had some of them so natalie how do you help doctors speak to women and open providers i would say doctors providers nurse practitioners um who are really taking the lead in this how how do you work with them to help them have the dialogue with their patients that frankly in articles like the arp one they say they don't feel that ready They're barely able to have that conversation. Yeah. A lot of it is making patients feel comfortable opening up. You know, this is a lot of stuff women feel really vulnerable about. Mm -hmm. You know, it's already such a vulnerable time of, you know, am I still as important as I was? And, you know, that's the point where people are starting to go, oh, and now I'm getting wrinkles and now I'm getting all these things. And you're already starting to feel run down, but you're still in charge of your family and you still have a job and you have all these things that everyone still is reliant on you. So how do you show that vulnerability? And so, you know, you talked about so many women go untreated. And I think a lot of women are really embarrassed to talk about it. Or maybe they just think, oh, you know, the painful intercourse is because I'm just not that into my husband anymore. When in fact, it's something we could treat pretty easily. Or how many women with incontinence get put on these horrible meds when it's just a little bit of hormone that you need to, to build that back up and you're you're treated and you're great. And Tell you... us a little more about those two things. Absolutely. UTIs and vaginal <laughs> Oh trying. my gosh. Big, that's a big one. This is like one big of two. my big things that drives me just absolute bananas because as, you know, women age, the muscles around the sphincter at the bladder get weaker, right? Because mm-hmm. that tissue is not getting the estrogen and androgens that it needs. Right. And it's <clears throat> such a simple fix. Most women, a little bit of a localized estrogen is all they need. Occasionally, maybe we need to add a little DHEA or testosterone because right. there's some benefits to the androgens too. They do different things for those muscles too. A few Kegels for a week. 
And most of those women, you've taken care of the incontinence, you've taken care of the painful intercourse, you're helping their libido. It's life-changing. It is life-changing. And the alternate meds that they are put on are this whole class that you're not even supposed to be on as you get older. Mm -hmm. And they cause all these different symptoms and dry mouth and uh, dizziness and can make you fall if you wake up in the middle of the night and are disoriented. And it's just all these different things that I'm like, why are we throwing these horrible meds at it instead of, you know, they're just this band-aid. When you know there's a better alternative. Exactly. You can treat yeah. the cause. I hate putting band-aids on things when we can fix so it. Do Go I. to the source. <clears throat> fix <clears throat> the source. And when you talk about women um, not wanting to speak up, just the other day I've been seeing this wonderful patient for probably eight or nine years, and we were talking about her and how she feels, and I said, now, do you have any siblings? She goes, I have a sister. Oh, she's got osteopenia. That's how the conversation. Mm -hmm. I said, is she on hormones? She goes, no. I go, have you ever talked about it? She goes, no, we've never talked about it. And they're really close. And I said, and she lives here? She goes, yes. I said, do you want to send her in to see me to talk? I said, because you guys don't talk about this? And and sisters don't talk about it. It's almost like people are afraid to to be Um, vulnerable or 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 weak or mm-hmm. whatever. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is right. maintaining their lives. Yeah. They're fine. They're I fine. should be. I should be fine. I should be able to pull this off. Mm-hmm. And yet, people who right. d- who really are aware of their bodies yeah. know they can't. Seriously. And how many people have we seen just move those points back into healthy bone? mass yes oh my god just a few hormones i mean it's amazing we've reversed osteoporosis yes we've reversed osteopenia absolutely and we know it helps prevent and yet you know even in that article they said oh well that can't be a reason why you get it I know. even we, though they said it does that i know but it can't be a reason you we give just it. talked about this that's so Bye. funny i had one gal who had osteoporosis she got this is the most i've ever seen a nine percent increase in her bone wow. density over two years she's amazing she's a little tiny little thing mm-hmm. and it's, it probably is going to save her from getting any fractures now and that's life-changing. It is life And it's quality of life. Exactly. She's an active, retired woman mm-hmm. who wants to keep up right. with her grandkids. Right. And okay. hopefully, women, you are listening to this because really, again, to make the point, um, this this conversation around hormones and hormone balancing and menopause, I talk to young women who have the same symptoms as women in menopause. Mm-hmm. They've got vaginal dryness. They've yep. got horrible mood swings. Mm-hmm. They have no libido. For sure. Often because they've been on synthetic hormones, et cetera. But um, it's the it's the ask. It's knowing that there are bioidentical hormones out there, which to use the, the old analogy of the key in the lock, mm-hmm. the hormone is like the key that fits into the lock. As specific as the key you use to open your own front door, that's how we call hormones binding. They bind to the cell, the target tissues where they do their work. And so the bioidenticals, are duplicating that very same fit. Mm-hmm. They fit into that into that place. But the way they're delivered, the amounts in which they're delivered, the timing, for instance, with progesterone, if someone's t- doing having cycles, then they should use it during, we're trying to be in sync with their cycles, right? So all exactly. of this is so mm-hmm. important. And I'm sure you have a lot of education oh, to do with doctors so that way and, yeah. and women. And maybe they need, women need to be encouraged to insist on mm-hmm. bioidenticals. How do we get women to ask for these things? Yeah, so Natalie, when people come into your pharmacy, I mean, sometimes they just wander in, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. And so then what's the dialogue that you have with these people? Yeah, so a lot of times people have, a lot of people have some awareness. Usually if they're coming to seek me out, they know they want something outside of the box. They want something natural. They don't really know how to get it. They don't know exactly what that looks like, and they don't know who can get that for them. So a lot of it is, for me, 
pairing them with the right provider. Mm -hmm. So finding out, because it's almost never just one thing, right? It's never just hormones. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe it's also thyroid or autoimmune or gut or, you know, some pain or so many different things that go along with this. And so it's my job to kind of figure out, okay, you know, what are you looking for exactly? What do you need help with? Who's going to be that right fit for mm-hmm. you? Which is a huge resource you oh, offer. Absolutely. Oh, God, yeah. I get so many referrals from you and, and yeah. vice versa. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and once I know, you know, because I get to work really closely with people. So I get to see, uh, like, potentially hundreds or thousands of their patients. So I have a huge sample size yes. for different providers. So I really know, you know, who really understands what's going on, who can really help, especially those tough patients. Like, mm. you know, who, who's got like those tricks up their sleeve and have seen enough that they can get there or who, you know, is a good all purpose, you know, sort of maybe they don't need anything super special, but they need someone who's going to listen to them and be really empathetic. Cause a lot of them, have felt really turned away. And I have been through this myself. Uh, You know, you talked about younger women going through this too. I have always had hormonal imbalances. It's genetic. It's from my mom. But my mom died when I was really young. So I didn't really have a good resource Hmm. for that. And I had so many doctors brush me off, brush me off for basically a decade until I did my own research and I went, okay, I have this and this and this and this and I need this and this and this. And making those connections, especially like with Kyle and, and people like her, all of a sudden I was like, it clicked for me. Mm-hmm. And I have so many women who, you know, they're dragging their daughters in because yeah. now that they've hit menopause and mm-hmm. they're like, it's night and day once they've been treated. And all of a sudden, these things that they had when they were younger, they didn't even realize, you know, because we talk about menopause, but a lot of women are walking into this already imbalanced mm-hmm. and they already don't feel good oh, or yeah. they already have these autoimmune. And it's just sort of like, well, I've always been this way. It's mm-hmm. always not been good. And so they kind of like, this is just how it's going to be. And as we all three know, it doesn't have to be that way. We can not get it so much better. And and so encouraging them to not give up, especially if they have felt passed over and not heard, I think is a big piece to that, you know, and finding those providers who really listen and spend that extra time. Because it's, I mean, you run into this, there is so much pressure from insurance in, mm-hmm. you know, 15 minutes in and out. You can't possibly do this in 15 minutes. There's no way to do that. And so you have to find a provider who's willing to take that extra time and do that. And sometimes that means no insurance coverage. Sometimes that means that you're going to pay for it. But think about the cost savings that you get for spending that little bit of money up front. And you get your whole life back. And you prevent things like, you know, we're talking about the osteoporosis and dementia and heart disease and cancers and all these different things. It's... I mean, how can it not be worth it? Well, and I talk to people about that a lot because a lot of people are on limited budgets, especially mm-hmm. as they get older and they're on Medicare. For sure. Um, a lot of these compounding medications are not covered by insurance, but they're not expensive because they don't have a lot of the R&D behind them. They don't have all the marketing. So I always tell people, you're either going to pay now and you're going to pay less or you're going to pay later in, in terms of your health care. You would much rather be a healthy woman who's spending maybe 50 to $100 a month on your compounds and living a full, healthy life. Right. And rather than 10 years from now, you start breaking some bones, you start mm-hmm. having some cardi- some heart attacks or strokes, how is that going to change your life? And what's the cost oh. of that going to be? You're going to need long-term exactly. care. So it's really important that you think about the future of your life and say, what do I want for myself? I'm spending $3 a day on my Starbucks mm-hmm. latte. Or I'm spending $100, $400 on my coach bag, mm-hmm. which is great. Go ahead and spend that. Mm-hmm. But think about yourself. You can't get it back. You right. can't get time back, and you can't get your health back, right. no matter how much money you have. It's just sort of one of those 
truths in life that you yeah. realize. And some of it is us giving ourselves permission to spend the money on that. Exactly. I talk to so many women mm. who it's, well, I need to spend it on my kids or I'm supposed to be spending it mm. on my family. And it's we have a hard time justifying mm-hmm. spending money on self-care. That's a really tough thing for most women. And I think we have to remind ourselves and other women, like that money, that's an investment mm-hmm. because you know, you being in good shape means your family's going to be in way better and shape. Maybe your like, kids won't need to see a shrink. I mean, my kids were so scared of me. Well, they won't I, have to take care they were of you. Terrified. I don't want my kids to have to take <laughs> right. care of me when I get older. I want to yeah. be that healthy, vibrant, older mm-hmm. person. I think one of the lessons there is knowing, you know, the symptoms of hormonal imbalance. Because as you mentioned earlier, having hot flashes and night sweats is a sign of osteoporosis to come. No, no, no. What I, no, what I said was the women who have severe hot, hot flashes and night sweats that aren't treated have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease there yeah and yeah. and yeah and other issues down the road as well right. so it's knowing it starts with the symptoms and then the symptoms if untreated go into disorders and and these diseases that we're talking about if if they go untreated so natalie what do you i mean in terms of delivery systems i you know i'm, I'm thinking about the different um, the different ways that, that are optimal for delivering an estradiol or delivering a progesterone or a testosterone. There are different, what, what do you see? I remember your pharmacy mm-hmm. was making these lovely sublingual yeah. um, sublingual lozenges uh-huh. that were, I think you were flavoring them. Mm-hmm. And tell us more about how, yeah. what you see in that in that realm. Absolutely. I had mentioned earlier that oral is not always the right answer for some of these hormones. Mm -hmm. Either they're not absorbed well, or they go through so much liver processing that we see a lot more side effects or risk for cancer or clotting, things like that. So being able to customize that. Sometimes oral is the best way, but maybe we need it to be a slower release, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. progesterone, especially. Those women who aren't sleeping, that slow release or gradual release progesterone capsule, that's a game changer they right there. That. Absolutely. But a lot of hormones are going to do a lot better in a different form. You mentioned the sublingual lozenges, so that goes under the tongue. That's great because that way we are getting it straight into the lymph system. It's going to the tissues where it's needed. You can lower your doses. You can specialize the absorption is better. Exactly. Cause, yeah, because you're getting better absorption with that. And it's fast. So for mm-hmm. people who need that quick action, it's great. Creams are a great option too. Um, creams are, are really a nice way to go too because that's the most similar to the way our bodies naturally mm-hmm. produce the hormones. Mm-hmm. So it's a very slow release. It doesn't have a huge peak. So again, you're you're usually limiting your side effect um, profile with that. And it's much more similar. So we're able to kind of adjust for that. We can sometimes get that nice two for one also because we talked about the vaginal dryness and different issues. So sometimes it's you know, using that cream as a labial cream or vaginal cream, you're going to get that benefit, but also heal that tissue. Um, so there are ways that we can kind of combine and hit, you know, multiple issues in, in one go. Suppositories yes, as well. Yes, suppositories. Um, there's so many different ways. And even within the creams, there's all kinds of different devices. I mm-hmm. always tell people, hey, if you don't like what you're using, we'll try something different. You don't like that automatic clicker, little little pump? Okay, we'll do a pre-filled syringe for you. There's so many choices. I don't mm-hmm. want women to not take something that they need because it's hard to remember, hard to use. Yeah, I think it gets easier for people as they do it. Yes. You know, it, it's a matter of, again, educating them how this goes. Mm-hmm. At first, I might be putting you on three creams because I want to keep them all separate right. while I'm sorting out what you're reacting to and what your side effects are. But once you're on the, the dose and the regimen I want, we'll put them all together. We'll make it as easy as possible for you. But 
People know when they come to see me or mm-hmm. Natalie, we're going to give them some work to do. That's Cause, right. Because they've been, taken a long time to feel crappy, and it takes a while to feel good. It does. Patience is a big thing for people to remember. You know, it's hard because you have this little hope, and you're like, yeah. okay, I'm going to feel better tomorrow. And it's like, you're going to feel better soon. You have to but process. it might be a few weeks, and we might have to be tweaking some things. Yep. And it might take a couple months until everything is fully settled, and, and you're feeling exactly right. But it's worth it. Again, that investment and that time and to I want, get that right. And I wanted to say one thing, too. I know we're talking about hormones and compounding pharmacy, but I really want to bring up that not only does the compounding pharmacy offer the compounding hormones for me or other providers, but they're also really well-versed in other treatments. Like a lot of women have a condition called vulvodynia. It's a painful, mm. it's a painful yes. vaginal uh, condition that historically has not responded to many things. They'll try steroids. They'll try this. They actually did a thing called a vulvectomy. It's a surgery that removes oh. the vulva. It's just barbaric, in my opinion. Absolutely. But the compounding pharmacy offers these suppositories that are, mm-hmm. I call them my magic potions, <laughs> that have, I have seen women who've been cured from vulvodynia, mm-hmm. but nothing else has worked. And then we talk about the low-dose naltrexone, which we'll talk about in another episode. But but this is there's so many op, um, things that compounding pharmacies know about that, uh, that other pharmacies, like Natalie said, don't have the time mm-hmm. to know about. They don't have that pipeline of information. So with partnering, for me as a provider, partnering with somebody like Natalie and her, her staff, I've learned so much that I never learned in school. Right. And, yeah. and I wanted to mention also that another resource that you provide to your patients and to the community and to all of us is by going up on Capitol Hill and mm-hmm. lobbying our lawmakers about safe access. I mean, you do a lot of work. I know I've been up on Capitol Hill with um, International Academy of, of Pharmaceutical, what is it? Yeah. IACP. IACP. They They're have great. capital compounders mm-hmm. every year up yep. there talking to our lawmakers, protecting safe access mm-hmm. to compounded pharmacy. And that includes BHRT. Yes. And, and we say safe access because we know, I mean, do you feel fairly confident that these hormones are safe and good for us being you know, natural to the body, and and how is how does the future look? Can we women <laughs> rest assured that we're going to have safe access, or how? Oh, yeah, how, what's happening Absolutely. up there? Yeah, and those are great questions because there is so much changing this year. You guys are going to see some big changes over the next two years in the compounding world. Really, everything is changing in all of our rules. All of our rules are changing federally and locally, so you're going to see a big shakeup. It's going to be a, a big change um, for a lot of people. But that's why, you know, I mentioned I had done the renovation. I've been planning for this for three years. So I did a two-year renovation. My labs are all set. We had to change a lot of the ways we handle hormones. There was concerns about safety for the technicians handling them, which is fair. We want to make sure that the people mm-hmm. making the hormones are protected too, right? Because yeah. in small amounts, Hormones are great. They're safe. They're wonderful. But in large amounts, if you're exposed to it every day when you shouldn't sure. be, right. that's a problem. Potent stuff. Absolutely. So a lot of these safety things went into place, you know, to get that going um, for the, the pharmacies. And so you are not going to lose access. Like places like mine, we spend a lot of time. I can't tell you how much time I've spent and money. To make sure that people still have access. I feel really passionate about it. It's important to me mm-hmm. that people feel like they can get what they need and get a high quality product, know what they're getting, 
know that it's the right thing. That is really important too, because that's been a concern for people as well. Mm-hmm. How do I know that this is right? You know, so getting those regulations in place is important to make sure that that happens for sure. And definitely ICP and other places, you know, we're all fighting really hard. And, um, and American, been yeah, for absolutely for years. And even the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians has joined in and is mm. fighting really hard to preserve access because there's certain um, natural and uh, drugs that we may lose um, in the next wow. year or so. And so they're fighting really hard to but keep But not those. bioidentical hormones, I Not hope. bioidentical hormones. Okay. Like I said, yeah. 50 million U.S. women off their hormones. Oh, that not be March, a good, no one would not that. be a good no. thing on Washington. Nope. Me, I, bio, I insist on bioidentical. <laughs> women need to unite on that note, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you think Do you think we're we're good going forward with, do you think that BHRT is is here to stay? That. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have seen more growth in it than anything. Oh, great. The knowledge oh, so is really improving. You know, I, I'm i seeing more and more doctors in pretty big institutions now starting to incorporate it into that's their great. practice and calling, asking questions. And a lot of it is triggered. Like you mentioned the vulvodynia or, you know, there's lichen planus and all these other horrible conditions that are really hard for women there aren't great commercial options and so sometimes it's that that opens that door Mm -hmm. and i start talking that provider and then all of a sudden you know now they're learning more about the lotus naltrexone or learning more about hormones so i see more of a push towards that i think women are starting to really understand like these it's our right to have safe medicine and it's our right to have safe hormones that aren't going to cause all the problems that we see with the synthetics and and access to them through people like you yeah, for That's sure. That's such good news because that article was so depressing in many ways. And I wonder, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting for you to even contact those people who wrote mm-hmm. that article and say, guess what? There's a whole <laughs> other world, there's a whole other paradigm out there right? of, of treatment that mm-hmm. women need to know about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's hard, you know, it was funny because they were recommending not use it. And, you know, the task force in charge of it has like a pediatrician in charge of it. I'm like, I'm sure that pediatrician is great at what he does, yes. but how can you know menopausal women's needs like that seems interesting to me that the people that are kind of shaping that might not be experts in that area um but yeah and absolutely you know getting you know it's tough it's a balance of you know you get that pressure of well guidelines says this nam says this i need to follow this versus you know are you willing to kind of step outside the box a little and and work in that gray a bit you know, to get that right answer for the the woman. And I see more people willing to do that. And I think that's the best thing women as patients can do too, is speak up, you know. I was you just going to say, sure what, you, what, yeah. what would you tell women? Because our, we're saying here, women don't have, we need to help you have, know the questions to ask mm-hmm. and, and yeah. to speak up. So I think it's important for women to, you know, learn about potential symptoms, you know, so that they know, mm-hmm. You know, especially the mental piece for it. You know, women who maybe never even had anxiety or depression all of a sudden have this and they feel like something's wrong with them. And I think it's really important for women to feel that empowered that it's nothing's wrong with you. This mm-hmm. is, you know, things are changing and they can be fixed. You know, feeling, you know, making sure that they're not just having that brush aside or, oh, just, you know, put on a mm-hmm. antidepressant without any testing done. Exactly. You know, there's yep. absolutely perfect places and times for them. But if you haven't ruled out, you know, thyroid and hormones, all that, let's do that first. So, you know, advocating for your rights to make sure that you're getting the right testing that you need, you know, so you really know what's going Mm -hmm. on with your body. And that you're tested. And that you are tested. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, also advocating that you don't want synthetics. You want the right things that are going to, you know, help get you back in balance without creating these other scary things that we see. Because we do want to make sure that we're limiting risk for cancer or heart disease or all these other things. And at the same time, we're relieving symptoms as well. Exactly. And preventing other chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. So we had those 10 essential truths that we're going to post on our website for you ladies. And I think if anybody who's listening to our podcast right now can look at those, those will give you some tools to move forward and and meet with a provider that meets your need. Or sometimes when people can't find a provider in a city, they, I have a lot of patients who move away, and they say, Kyle, what can I do? I say, I want you to find, yeah. by word of mouth, the best pharmacy, the co- best compounding pharmacy in the city that you're moving to, mm-hmm. and I want you to talk to that provider and a pharmacist, and they're going to tell you who the good providers yeah, are. that's right. So in the interest of time, I think we should be wrapping up. This has been an amazing episode with our first incredible guest. Who's <laughs> and just we hope full. you'll come back, Natalie, oh, because there's so many absolutely. other... We, we could so get much so to talk specific. about. This, this conversation, as you we can tell, is never-ending. It's, True. Yeah. it's like the never-ending story. And I hope it never ends. It never ends. I want women to talk about this more. Yes. So and we, I, like I said, I love what you guys are doing. I love that you're out here advocating in yet another way, on top of all the other ways that you the have already done. The easiest way, blah, 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 it's blah, blah. Well, we though. think this is so important. And I just want to remind everybody to be courageous. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF, Woman Talking Frankly, podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candice. Our website is womentalkingfrankly.com, where you can find all of our episodes, check out the show notes for resources, articles, and remedies, and where you can also feel free to email us with any questions, a hormone story, anything you'd like us to share with our listeners. Women Talking Frankly, WTF, is produced by Dan Rigger of Medicine Whistle Studios in his lovely Southeast Portland, Oregon studio. We want to thank our webmaster and dear friend, Deb Hollister of Pure and Simple Graphic Design. We also want to give a shout out to all of our family, friends, and patients for all of their support and encouragement to start this podcast. We are your hosts, Kyle McAvoy and Candace Birch. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF, Woman Talking Frankly, podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candace. By the way, our website is womentalkingfrankly.com, where you can find links to our episodes and show notes with all the resources and suggested products we've mentioned, as well as links to our Menopausibilities blog posts. The website is also where you can email us with your hormone story or questions, and we can possibly share those in subsequent podcasts. That's womentalkingfrankly.com. Join us.